Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. Today we have on our friend of the show and good buddy, Mary Kay Ryan. She joins us today as we talk about Yule. What is it? Where does it come from? We also get into the separation of city and rural, followers and heathens, and doing things to excess at this time of year as a celebration of the return of the sun, aka the winter solstice. Mary Kay gives examples and explanations of some archaeoastronomy sites across the world and the motivation for building them. We also discuss seeing the sun as much of the living universe as an organism, and we discuss animism overall. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Gin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, (laughs) and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra, Spirituality with a Twist. Uh, today you have Daniel with you. Eric has a little bit of time off, uh, R&R, if you will, with his family. So uh, we're bringing in some different people, friends of the show, if you will talking about some you know interesting things um we have mary Kay with us today mary Kay, hello it's been a Hi. while i think i think you were on here probably about a year ago was it uh, that one yeah or you know and you guys were talking about spirits and um oh yeah it was sound it was last year sound. yeah it was last year so uh i guess it's apropos that you're here again at the return of the sun time <laughs> Um, so we are going to have, you know, some discussion probably about, uh, about Yule, right. In, in particular, the sort of, you know, quote unquote pagan holiday, which, you know, the more that I hear that word, the less that I like it actually, um, I could say maybe more traditional observation of the winter solstice perhaps is a better way of describing it. Mm. And, um, you know, given that, you know, you and I have had some recent discussions about this and, and observing it as a as a holiday, as a celebration, as an, you know, observed time of year, there is so much that is, I think, in our kind of like everyday lexicon of, of holiday observation or understanding, awareness, maybe, that people don't understand. They, have, they haven't really dove into it. So, you know, people hear like Yule Log or Yule Tide, but... I know for me, up until recently, I've never looked into what Yule actually is. Mm. So as we've been having these discussions, it's been a a fun little research experiment to kind of go into it and illuminate myself again for all the things that have been here for far longer than I've been aware of them, which is so much more than I'm probably even conscious of, that I thought it would be nice to bring it to, uh, you know, our, our, our little troop here. So, uh yeah, I wanted to give you give you the floor. Like, let's start very very broad, very very broad here. Um, what what is Yule? 
Before I do that, let me say something about the word pagan. Yes. Because I was thinking about it while I was sort of preparing. You know me. I thought, oh, my God, he was going to ask me these questions. I have to make sure I know the definition of every word. And it was fun. I I listened to a bunch of different people talk about it. And some of them were sort of annoyingly fluffy. And some were. It was fun. I learned. And I learned some neat stuff I didn't know. And I've been doing Yule for 40 years. Um, Anyway. The word pagan was a Roman uh, word, yeah. and I believe it comes from Latin paganus, which, um, and anybody who speaks Latin, forgive me if that's incorrect, um, uh, and it just basically means rural. And so it was applied by the Romans to people whose religious practices were what we might call the folk practices, mm. Um, as opposed to sort of the highfalutin Zeus, Apollo, Athena, big temples, yeah. you know, lots of pomp and circumstance. So in my mind, the folk traditions are probably a lot older. Um, and then that word gets turned into the word heathen under the influence of the Christians. Um, heathen comes from the word heath. And so it actually just means the people who live out in the heath, i.e. the countryside. Mm-hmm. So once again, it's the rural folk religious traditions. And then the Christians added to that those who were not members of, wait for it, the army of Christ. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, there, you know, when we think of pagan, we tend to think of the Romans or something, but it's ironic that we do that because, and the Christians call the Romans pagans, but the Romans, the the highfalutin Romans who were actually in the major, you know, city centers would not have liked to be called pagans because it would have been insulting to them. Um, So, so if you identify with sort of nature and the countryside and simple life and all that stuff that probably a lot of us do kind of at least long after then being called a pagan turns out not to be such a terrible thing after all but i agree with you because when people use that term i think well which pagans are you talking about because Mm -hmm. there were pagans who did sacrifice babies you know what i mean that that actually that kind of icky stuff happened if what you're talking about is polytheistic religious practices um, so, you know, there's every kind of quote unquote pagan. These days, I tend to use the term earth based religions, uh, which also has its problems because, you know, it wasn't like they didn't care about the sky. Um, anyway, just wanted to comment on the word pagan since I'd been thinking about it anyway. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I, I think the way, I mean, I don't, you could tell me how it sounded to you, but as you're explaining it, it almost sounds like pagan can be maybe synonymous with the word rural. Yeah, exactly. You and know, it's, the how there's like a divide between right, like city and rural. And you're like, oh, yeah. they're rural, they're country. You and, know? That, and that division turns out to be historically very important because I wrote my thesis on um, medical, um, on why medical historiography was so poorly done. And one of the reasons it was done poorly is that academics want to study um, medicine as it occurred um, in the in the urban areas by literate men. That's what they care about. But that's not where the majority of medicine occurred. Mm. The majority of medicine occurred in the countryside by illiterate women, mm. which, of course, we don't care about because they're women and they don't know how to read. And so this division of the kind of rural 
bumpkins that we don't take seriously, that don't know what they're doing, that are kind of stupid, um, goes on to this very moment. Mm-hmm. We talk about people who live in the country as rednecks and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and stuff. So that division of urban people, and I would say it's being reflected in the country right now, because you have this division about um people that we think of as the red states and the blue states. And we think of the red states as full of ignorant uh, peasants from the countryside who are not as smart or educated. And then the us urban elite guys, and we're so smart. And I'm not saying there's no validity to that, but it's such a simplification. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't facilitate conversation much. Correct. Oddly, people who um, you're thinking of as stupid don't want to talk to you much right? They don't want to talk to you or converse with you. Um, And I ran into that when I was in the South, is that people thought that Northerners thought that they were stupid, ignorant, inbred morons. Mm -hmm. Um, And most people, when you say that from the North, will say, well, aren't they? You know, because they think it's funny. And I'm just saying that if we want to actually converse with people, we might not want to start from that kind of point. Um, But it's a very old point, is the point. Point of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, carry on. What is Yule? Oh, okay. What is Yule? Um, it's an interesting thing because when you try to look up Yule, it turns out that nobody's quite certain where the term Yule comes from. Yes. Um, that's weird, right? Except mm-hmm. that um, it's one of Odin's names was Yulner, and Yule seems to be from a Norse word. Um, or at least a northern Anglo-Saxony word that meant the period of time that was basically December and January. And so calling Olden Yulner, he had many names because he was a shapeshifter on many forms, was sort of to call him the the maker of Yule or the Yuler, the person who makes Yule happen, Um, which is funny because he's not particularly a god of winter. Um, He's a god of anything that he wants to be. So that's about it. That's that's where we know this word from. And in fact, the term Yule as a particular holiday seems to have come to the fore a lot more under the influence of Christianity, which is very odd. And so it sort of comes to be a thing in counterdistinction to Christianity, to Christmas. Mm. Um, but that said, it's highly likely from the sources that the Norse people, just like everybody else in the whole wide world, um, did acknowledge the winter solstice and did do special things on it. So even though it may not have been called Yule, the idea, there's a great, my favorite line in one of the Norse written sources is, Yule continues until the ale runs out, mm-hmm. um, which I quite like. And then Saturnalia, which is around the same time that's of the Roman festival, um, was again, there was a lot of drinking and carrying on and also role reversals. So servants were supposed to be served by their masters and so forth. So the idea of Yule as a carry, um, or this winter solstice time is uh, as a carry on a time when you a time of excess we we do things to excess we drink to excess we eat to excess we give each other presents we sing we dance i think that's quite widespread no matter what it's called um and i think that the interesting thing from the point of view of Samhain and 
uh, shamanic practice is that it, it harks back to very ancient things. Mm. This obsession with the solstice, which we can talk about more later, is very ancient and predates everything. Mm -hmm. And everybody is obsessed with it. Everybody, including the Christians. We can talk about that also. So whether or not we call it Yule or we just call it the winter festival of the solstice, uh, it's a very, very ancient practice. So that's Yule. Nice. It's an old practice of fun and excess in the dead of winter. Mm. So that's that's a little short definition. No, that's great. No, that, that, that works. And so then, you know, sort of, I guess we'll just sort of move forward with it then. Since it's an observation of the winter solstice, um, let's, let's, let's continue. Let, let's continue there, you know, so, you know, win, winter solstice, right. Uh, observed generally around December 21st, 20th, 21st, you know, sometimes the day will change a little bit based on the lunar calendar and, and where we are in particular, but, um, speak a little bit about this if you would, and, and then we can kind of, you know, sure. um, well, so, probably everybody knows this but just as a review yes. there are two solstices one is in summer around june 21st somewhere in there 22nd 23rd mm -hmm. and one in the winter uh and the date she just mentioned and then and the point of those two days from an astronomical point of view is that in summer you have the longest day of the year and in the winter you have the longest night of the year and that has to do with where the earth is on its travels around the sun because the earth is of course tilted on its axis so when it's at one part of its turn it's turned away from the northern hemisphere it, and we should talk about northern southern it's tipped away from the earth and that's when it's darker and in another one it's tipped toward the i mean toward the sun excuse me um when it's tipped toward the sun you have um more light and longer days um the reason i want to just i want to just point out speaking of northern and southern prejudices that mm. the opposite is true in the southern hemisphere mm. so currently they are having their summer solstice which is weird when you think about it i mean it's just so hard to think about that mm -hmm. like for them this is going to be the longest day and it's just strange and then of course the equinoxes are when the summer the day and the night are of equal length and there's one in spring and one in fall um so that's the sort of astronomical basis to it um but that leads us to another whole question which i won't go into until you if you want me to which is why in the hell are people have people been so obsessed with the solstices and we can talk about this but we're talking about thousands of years mm -hmm. of obsession mm -hmm. and we've been talking about this in my house like what the heck is up with this solstice stuff mm -hmm. so carry on with your questions and maybe we'll come back no that no that that's i think that's the right i think that's the right thing though so you know why why is it and you know i want to definitely you know we're going to discuss it but i think something that people forget is that the beings on earth are heliocentric yes and have been since the beginning because yes. without the sun there is no life yes and so the observation of that seems i don't know so obvious you know, yeah. like if you were looking for 
something to worship or something to be thankful for or thankful to if we believe it's a being right yes then there is nothing else yeah it's the sun yep it's the sun you know your warmth your crops your night your day i mean everything based yep. is based around our planet revolving around and now as we know gravity and the closeness to this atmosphere all the other things yep. it's the sun and the sun and the sun and the sun right. and without it if the sun disappeared tomorrow we'd be dead in five seconds we'd all be dead immediately because our atmosphere would go away mm-hmm. we would not be able to breathe mm-hmm. that let's just start there never mind that we would freeze to death instantly so it's absolutely true that it's this thing that we take for granted especially now without which we would not exist that and and we have the lucky um happenstance that we are exactly the right distance from the sun to give us the kind of life we have mm-hmm. i mean no offense to mars and the other planets i'm sure they have their own beauty but they don't have people and they don't have animals now they may have bacteria i know we're still discussing all that and again i think mars is kind of beautiful when i've seen you know, close-up pictures of it, but I'm not sure I'd want to live there. Um, for one thing, it I couldn't because of the temperatures and so forth. So that's the other thing is it's not only the sun, so it's not just an individual thing. It's that the relationship between the earth and the sun is kind of wonderful and special mm-hmm. because we are exactly this right amount of distance to keep ourselves warm without burning up or without freezing. So it's pretty cool. It's actually, Mm -hmm. but it's easy to, especially for modern people to forget that, I think. Yeah. So at least least for me. We've (laughs) also, you know, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, agriculture is relegated to like outside life, especially if you're, you know, relatively suburban. Right. Um, that by you, the you know, pagans. By the pagans. By the pagans. Right. <laughs> the pagans are, are doing all the farm. But really, it's think less than two percent of the population has anything to do with farming. You know, most right. of the only thing they know is a farmer's market. You right. Know? Other than that, it's like you go to the grocery store. There's your food. It hits here. It doesn't matter what season it is. There's blueberries even in the dead of winter. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this removal of ag- from agriculture and even from shifting produce, yeah. right? I mean, what can people tell that the winter is coming? Why? Because pumpkin spice is back. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or like today i couldn't get pineapple juice because yeah. it's not in season i was very irritated you know it's that kind of thing yeah it's that but commodity thing it could commodity thing so like i think that because of that we have sort of i mean a lost connection with the the comings and go the natural comings and goings of nature on on one level but then because we are further away from it we don't really see how the sun ha- affects the environment because i turn the light off i turn yep. the light on yep. you know yep. we're expected to produce no matter you know what time of the year it is we don't yep. change our habits right so it seems the seasons are almost like a an annoyance on some level depending on where you live you know for most people right you know, as opposed to like an awareness of literally where we are in space yeah know? and yeah. this idea of passing of seasons as a market is a marking of a passing of time and what it means to celebrate that we're still here. Oh, the sun yeah. is returning. Yay. You know, like, yeah. that, that's good. Yeah, yeah. You want that, you know? Well, and as you say, I was just saying to someone yesterday, when you live in a city, it's very hard to see where the sun is. 
So mm -hmm. I went online yesterday in sort of preparation for this. And you can go on YouTube. It's kind of fun to do this. And they'll have a split screen. Um, and on one side, they'll show you um, the winter solstice sun, it obviously in time lapse. And on the other side, they'll show you the summer solstice sun oh, cool. in time lapse. So for what would be 24 hours takes, you know, a few minutes. And and I thought, oh, my God. I mean, I knew that was true. And of course, it stays dark on the winter side way longer because it takes so much longer for the sun to rise, quote unquote, rise. And on the other side, you know, it's, it's light outside very quickly, but also where the sun was. The sun was so high on the summer solstice side of the screen that I couldn't see it. It was off screen, whereas on the winter side, it was way low on the horizon. Now, I thought, I don't see the horizon. Right. You know, maybe if you're rich enough to live on Lakeshore Drive, you get to see the sunrise. But I don't see the sunrise because it's there is no horizon around me. Mm. So I think that that's um, and as you say, the whole it's the seasons are almost like an annoyance or, you know, oh, my God, it's going to snow and, you know, mm. um, I've, I've never actually I don't like summer. So um because it's too hot i don't like being hot but um but i think it's really true that this and it and the the lights on lights off thing years ago i had this unitarian minister who was a friend of mine and she was talking about going to a solstice a winter solstice um celebration mm. and she said she walked in and they all sat around and the host turned off the lights so that it was dark in the room and um, the minister's name was Mary Nadevanch. She said, uh, and I thought to myself, oh, yeah, okay, great. I get it. It's dark and we're experiencing the dark. And she thought it was going to go on for like, you know, three minutes or a minute or two minutes or something. But she didn't turn the lights on. Mm. She just left them off for a long time. And Mary said, after about 15 minutes, she was like, turn the freaking lights on. Yeah. And what the woman was trying to do was give people the experience of what the dark of the year was right. when you did not have lights right. that just went on and off. And she said it was very profound. She she got very anxious, very kind of freaked out. She mm. just wanted her to turn those lights back on. Um, not to mention the fact that it got cold and that people didn't leave their houses as much. Mm -hmm. So the other piece aside from light is central heating. Mm -hmm. Like if you've never been to a country I have where there mm -hmm. are places that do not have central heating, um, it's it, it's the cold gets in your bones. And mm -hmm. by God, if you're not sitting right next to the fire during those seasons, you can get very cold mm -hmm. in, in a way, even though it's only 40 degrees outside, if it's damp, like it is in Ireland and England, which is where a lot of these and Northern Europe, where a lot of the celebrations we're used to occur, they occur everywhere. But the ones we know about and are used to, um, you're talking about a place where the winter you were really struggling with staying warm. Yeah. 
all the through the entire season, you were dealing with lack of light and you didn't go out as much because why? Well, you don't have a car that you can sit in and turn the heat on. So it's not that easy to keep a carriage warm. You can do right. it. You can put a heater in there. So people tended to stay home. Mm. So they did not see their friends as much. They Because people, they didn't have television and all that. So the way you entertain yourself is you get up. This was true in Ireland up to television took over the culture is that people got up after their chores are done and they walked to their neighbor's houses but not in the dead of winter you didn't because it was pouring rain if it's ireland or it was snowing if it was you know norway or whatever and so you had to stay home a lot so when you add the thing of that it's a you cannot make it be light easily mm -hmm. candles are great and all but they're not going to fight the dark no. easily it's going to be cold and you have to stay near the fire to stay warm and you can't go out as much. Mm. Then you're, you're sort of, and if you can create an um, sort of pseudo environment where you might be able to experience that a little, then you really get what winter is mm. and why this, the nights getting longer and longer and longer. Now I love this time of year. I, I love, I love sitting near the fire I think you just get under the covers and wrap up. I don't mind being cold, but many people do not feel that way. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're also dealing with a period of time. This is my guess. This is my hypothesis is that we have a, a significant portion of the human population that gets very sad and down when it's dark out. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's not new. I'll bet that's been part of us since forever. Sure. So, th so then Yule or whatever we want to call this time of year becomes way more understandable because it's about let's venture out of our houses yeah. anyway. Let's go to our friends' houses. Let's be noisy. Let's light a fire. Let's have it go all night long. Let's let's do things to fight off this kind of feeling of, God, it's, it's awful damn dark out here. Mm -hmm. um, plus, when you put a lot of people in a room, guess what happens? It gets warmer. Right. Body heat is a great uh, heat source. So I think then that my idea about why this season looks the way it does is that it's about trying to cheer people up mm -hmm. because it is the cheeriest of all the holidays. You know, it's the one where it's all about eat, drink, and be merry. So that's my feeling about a piece of at least the folk obsession with it Yeah, is that it, it speaks to a very um, real need that people have at this time of year to mm -hmm. be, reminded of no it's going to be okay the light's coming back right the sun will come up because this idea that anthropologists say the dumbest shit sometimes they say things like people were worried the sun wouldn't return that's dumb that's just dumb people knew the sun was going to return people were not stupid they knew the sun was going to return because it always did so i don't think they thought the sun wouldn't return or that they had to beg the sun to return they knew the sun was going to return they just wanted it to hurry up mm. you know they and they wanted in the meantime to try to feel better because yeah this is the longest night and the light is going to increase but it's going to take its time about right. it we are now facing the the hardest months for most people, which mm -hmm. are December and January. In the Northern Those, Hemisphere. In the Northern Hemisphere, correct. And so um, 
it, you know, I tried to research, but of course, I don't know, the internet was made by people in the North, so I couldn't find it out. <laughs> but I wondered if, um, do people down South get sad during when we're having summer solstice and know. do they have celebrations that are all about, um, let's eat, drink and be merry. Um, that would be a really interesting question. If anybody knows anything about that, yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. If we have some, I know we, we do have international listeners for sure. Um, I think we do have some people in Australia who listen, but yeah, if you are outside of really the U S or Europe, or even if, even if you're in Europe, it's okay. But if particularly outside of the U S if, uh, you know, if you have any kind of experience with this or you have family or friends who live, you know, below the equator. Yeah. Be interesting to know. And, and not just below the equator, but below like that, that 10 degree latitude line, you know, where you're outside of that sun zone where it's always warm, basically, right. you know, in order to have the seasons, you know, definitely hit me up, uh, send me an email at ginandtantra at gmail.com. I, 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 it's interesting to me. And the other piece would be that the seasons were boring. That is. What do you, I mean, when you're a farmer, there's some, only so much um, repair of your equipment you can do, right? Right, Because that's what they did a lot of that. And they planned their crops and all that stuff. But um, for people who are very um, extroverted and need others to be happy, um, I'm sure that it got boring. I mean, how much embroidery and reading right. can you do <laughs> right. before you're starting to go, okay, I'm getting a little stir crazy here. Mm -hmm. So, but, but. Having said all this, I think that it is that we are talking now about the, I'm just going to keep returning to this word, obviously, we're talking about the pagans, that is, the, yeah. the heathens, the people mm -hmm. out in the countryside. That doesn't um, really get on to why Stonehenge exists. Why does Newgrange exist? Why do the pyramids exist? Because you can cheer yourself up at the winter solstice without picking up 50 ton rocks and moving them hundreds of miles. Right? right. So there's some other level of this, which we can also discuss that is, is a whole other level of why people are so obsessed with the solstices worldwide there, because if you go on, I did this, so you all can do it. If you go on and you put in um, a world, archaeo astronomy sites a uh, wikipedia has a list of them by country and they're everywhere now they're not equally distributed every mm. place so an archaeo astronomy site is a site in which um it's relatively um evident and they're they're graded by uh one two three four uh, four being we're certain it's um has to do with astronomy and one is eh, maybe we didn't, we're not so sure so stonehenge would be a four uh new grange is a four the the pyramids are four that means we're, we have no doubt that these were definitely about uh astronaut excuse me astronomical calculation mm -hmm. and then there are others but they are everywhere in the world um and so that's another whole level that I think we could talk about, which is not the folk level, because the folk don't move 50 ton rocks around. You know, the folk work hard as it is, and they don't want to do stupid stuff. That's, mm. I mean, that's the question is, why would anybody build Stonehenge? It's crazy. Well, before, <laughs> before we go there, let's let's talk a little bit about the winter solstice celebration. Yes. And 
maybe analog to Christmas, Christmas Eve, yeah. uh, tales of, you know, the sun returning, right? S-O-N or the S-U-N, depending. Right, I'm right. Interested in, I think, you know, and then we can maybe maybe peel off and-, and, and Sure, sure. Um, so there, for a long time, I have said um, that the Christians stole everything they have. And I, I, you know, part of me is just being hostile because there's so many things to be hostile about um, when it comes to that religion. Um, however, not to say that I, I understand there are great Christians and all, but the history is bad. Anyway, but it's turning out to be that that's, that's just stupid and simplistic. It's much more that everybody has their celebrations at this time of year and that they borrow from each other that mm -hmm. that's how religions are they change over time they influence each other they borrow from each other i have a really cute book here right here called holly reindeer and colored lights which was done in 1981 and it has been re-released and there turns out that the woman who did it, it's two women um they did one about easter and i believe one about um another major oh halloween um and what this is is goes through and it tells you about every single one of the christmas symbols and all the various ways that it came to be That's and cool. they don't say they stole them they just say these were around they were part of the culture at large and mm. they got subsumed into um christian it wasn't until like the seventh century saint um, pope gregory who deliberately said we should adapt uh, you know, uh, take the pagan holidays and make them into Christian holidays. So that's quite late, uh, sixth century. But um, so so the whole thing about what what we particularly do. And I heard one guy who's clearly a, a Norse uh, aficionado, and I liked him. You got to be careful about those guys because some of them are just white supremacist jerks. Sure. But there are quite a few of them who are very interesting. And this guy was saying, instead of getting mad at Christianity, we might want to realize that if it hadn't been for Christianity, some of the Yule's holiday things would have died out entirely hmm. because they because they got enfolded into Christian practice. Hmm. We still know about them because they, they were continued. So that's kind of a neat thing. So if you want to know about all of them, like why, why Christmas trees, what's, by the way, Yule logs, no offense to Bridget, who's making us one. Yule logs we have do not hear about in the literature until the 17th century. Mm. That's really recent. Like, mm. and that's long after Christianity. But uh, so anyway, this is a we got it for the kids. It, ostensibly they're written for kids, but any adult could certainly appreciate this. So it talks about why mistletoe, why reindeer, why the three kings, why, why, why. It's, mm, it's cool. pretty cool because and it's uh, not um, to your point, Mary, like Christmas wasn't observed like immediately after Christ died. Right. Exactly. It took, it took I don't know, like three or four, 300, 400 years or something like that. Like it. Right. Well, and 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 I don't have dates on this, but it turns out because I, I watched two very lengthy discussions. There's a guy who does this thing called Religion for Breakfast, and he's a Ph.D. religious studies person. And he's really good, very accessible. Um, so anything you want to know about the religions of the world, he has a whole thing on the Baha'i and a whole thing on um uh, just various groups i yeah. watched one about hanukkah and so forth and he's you know he knows what he's talking about but he's accessible and he was saying 
the reason Christmas is on the 25th is not because Saturnalia was or Sol Invictus, which was the other holiday celebrated by the Romans at that time, which was clearly a solstice yeah, celebration, solstice. Yeah, yeah. but it was a minor, it was a very minor holiday. Mm. What was big was Saturnalia. Nobody cared much about Sol Invictus, which is kind of a side thing, but um, Saturnalia was a huge deal. So, um, he said, rather than the Christians wanted to be at the same time as Saturnalia, why would they? I mean, Saturnalia stands for everything the Christians would have disliked um, because it was way too um, celebratory and, and, you know, about eating and doing stuff that the Christians were you know, sort of opposed to. Um, what it was, what they did care about was having Jesus's birth occur on the winter solstice. Mm. That's what they wanted because they put his death and his um, uh, his death on the on the equinox and his birth on the solstice. And they did that on purpose or right around the equinox. They did that on purpose that we have lots of data for. Like we can really argue that from written data. Mm. Um, and so the question would be, once again, what is this obsession with the solstices and equinoxes? Right. Well, I would say that for the Christians, it's because it's old. I mean, the, everybody everybody does it the romans did it the norse did it the, the celts did it the everybody's holidays fall except for the chinese i was just looking at the chinese things and it's very interesting but part of that's because they're lunar they follow largely a lunar right. cycle ditto jews jews follow a lunar cycle and that and of course the things that we're used to solstice equinox that's a solar system mm -hmm. and so um so that's why Jews seem to have their holidays in places that don't fully, you know, compute with um, Gentiles, but it's because of the lunarness. And I would say that's true of the Chinese, too. But when you look at the Chinese, they still have they do, by the way, in China, celebrate the solstices and equinoxes. Mm. They do. And they do have holidays for, you know, like parties and so forth. But um, their big holidays that have names are right. not those four. Um so in any case, the Christians picked the 25th because it was near the solstice and they mm. wanted Jesus to be born on an important day. And plus, they were all astrologers. I'm I'm watching or uh, listening to a very, very interesting, if, if anybody's interested, um, this guy's name is Justin Sledge, and he runs um, a thing on YouTube called Esoterica. Um, you have to put his name in or you'll get some weird stuff. But he also is a PhD religious studies person. And one of the things I've really come away understanding is if you think that Christians were not involved in magical practice, mm. then you're just foolish. They were deeply involved in it and deeply involved in magical practice, in astrology, all of that. So the idea that somehow there was astrology was over here and Christianity was over here is just untrue. Mm. The Christians were very well aware of astrology they had mixed feelings about it that's true because it was quote-unquote pagan um but they were deeply involved in it so the christians absolutely would have known about the solstices and equinoxes and wanted to have their important holidays on those days mm -hmm. so as you say it isn't like jesus died and then they said oh let's have a birthday party right we'll do it on <laughs> december 25th as my mom used to say 
I thought that the, the um, shepherds were in the fields because it was lambing season. I don't think lambing season happens in the winter, right? No, that would be in bulk, actually, at least in the pagan, so-called pagan wheel of the year. That'd be in bulk, which is in February. So mm. anyway, so that's the um, the thing is uh, just Christmas comes at that time of year because everything does. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even Jews have Hanukkah. Now, it's not a terribly deeply important holiday to them um although it has become so kind of in contradistinction right. to christmas which is a thing about religions is that they evolve over time that they're very diverse internally and that they are interactive with the other religions around them that mm. these are three principles that religious studies people who are serious will repeat again and again that religions change over time they are diverse internally and they interact with the culture around them um so christianity certainly did do that and luck lucky for us because christianity could at times be awfully austere so if they hadn't taken on some of this yule stuff we wouldn't get to eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. You know, I sometimes like I think when we talk about some more, you know, rural type, we could say that, or you know, uh, yeah, type celebrations yeah. or you know things that that predate modern religion because they are modern, right? Like yeah. that, you know, we poo poo on the modern religions because of their. I don't know how to put it. Like, I don't want to say it negatively, but parasitic nature. It's true. Uh, yeah. Right. You know, and maybe that's not necessarily a religion itself, but because it's being manifested through, I guess, power, hungry humans, that that's, that, that it's a conquest, you know, and it's turning and it's, you know, it's broadcasting out. This is not me. So therefore it's bad or whatever. Um, but that we forget that in, in their conquest, they do. And as they absorb, the threads of what they're taking in is also being encapsulated and preserved at the same time. That's true. And also I think, um, and again, I'm kind of speaking to myself here, you know, we tend to see Christianity as this very bellicose, aggressive, um, imperialist, um, culturally devastating influence. Yeah. I see it that way. I mean, yeah. the native people up in Canada are suffering to this very minute. Yeah. So, and many people in the world are, however, that Christianity is qu- quite late. That is to say when that really gets started in a big way is under Constantine. It's when Christianity is married to the Roman empire that that becomes true. true very true. Before that, there are an awful lot of kinds of Christians. Like we have this idea that there was a true Christianity, which then broke apart into a lot of types. That is inaccurate. There were a lot of types of Christianity. Some of them got wiped out over time, particularly under this Roman mm-hmm. uh, Romanization influence. But initially, people weren't in agreement about whether Jesus was God, whether he'd risen from the dead, what exactly his message was. Did you have to be a Jew? That was all completely under contention. So the idea that you and I are kind of operating out of, which is this very strong, aggressive, militaristic religion, it takes a while for that to develop 
And in the meantime, people didn't just drop everything they'd been doing because they didn't necessarily see it as contradistinctions right. to, to their Christianity. So they wouldn't have necessarily thought you couldn't have a winter solstice celebration and be a Christian at the same time. I think that kind of um, ideological brutality and and rigidity develops over time mm. as do i'm sorry but buddhism's got a pretty dark history in some places and we think of buddhism as this you know love and light religion but go talk to the mongolians and the tibetans that was not the historical experience of those people there have been buddhist king warriors who now was it as bad as christianity no of course not um, but it has its own, it's when religions become linked to militarism and the state and state control that you cease to be looking at what's the nature of reality, what's mm. my place in it, how mm. am I supposed to act, which is these are the perennial questions of all religions. And then it starts to become how can the king better control his subjects? Right. Right. So um, so that's the thing is that Christianity probably adapted things over time, um, initially relatively spontaneously. And then eventually it became part of the dogma of the church of if you want to, you know, convince the pagans, then try to uh, use what you can mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. that kind of cynical, what we would see as being kind of cynical. Um, well, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like the yin yang symbol, right? Even yeah. at the peak of one, there's still the seed of the other based within it, right? Yep, exactly. Um, and so well, when I was in Ireland, I went to a workshop and the woman giving it said the most interesting thing. She said, you know, Ireland was a pagan country until the Protestant Reformation. Mm -hmm. And what she meant was Catholicism is an extremely pagan form of Christianity. Sure. It is, and it has remained so. We have Mexican relatives. Let me tell you, that their form, and I was in Mexico and I went into churches and there was chicken blood on the altar mm. in Roman Catholic churches. Mm. So the the sort of syn syncretic, I think they call it, when you blend things together, mm -hmm. that is ongoing. And yes, now I'm going to be a little biased here. Um, so I admit that. But it's the Protestant Reformation that becomes this, this absolutely, utterly my way or the highway. I mean, just so you know, more witches were burned during the Protestant Reformation than had been burned before. Heretics were burned before, but witches was not the main thing. Yes, the Catholic Church, Malice, Maleficarum, and yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying they didn't burn witches, but their main thing was heretics. Um, so, and a lot of the Protestant Reformation is about trying to stamp out the quote-unquote pagan namely rural um, folk traditions out of Catholicism. That's a huge part of the Protestant, particularly in the higher, quote unquote, higher versions like um, uh, the Anglican Church. Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth was obsessed with wiping out things that she saw as, as pagan, like mm. astrology and um, roadside diviners and people like that. I mean, mm -hmm. they would flog them when they found them and stuff. So um, now she also thought that the Catholics were plotting against her, which they were. So that's fair. 
but then she was plotting against them too. So, well, that's that. I mean, I think that just goes to to highlight the unique time period that we're living in. Yes. Right? Yes. Not only can we find out things, we can talk about them without the fear of being beheaded, castrated, ostracized. Right. Uh, you know, in, like, unless you live in Iran, apparently. Well, then, that, yeah. They're okay. they're going to execute that uh, soccer player. The one who supported the demonstrations. I'm hoping there'll be a huge hue and cry about it because he's a he's a famous, big important soccer yeah. player. He's played in international games. Yesterday, I thought, you know, I don't say very much good about the United States, but I will right now. Is that we could go out and protest and and as my friend said, it was actually Aaron. He said, well. I said, they don't execute people here. And I said, well, that's not exactly true. People have been executed here. Right. But it isn't the policy that's right. spoken right. out loud that we execute Correct. people. And Correct. when people find out about it, mostly they're upset by that, right? Generally so speaking. anyway, but yes, you're right. We have access to information. We get yeah. to make choices, yeah. which is pretty cool. Pretty nice. Anyway, back to you all. Yeah. What else? Um, so I think maybe just um, a little bit on, you know, maybe we just put a cap, put a put a bow on it, you know, like in terms of some. Well, let's talk about this business of the obsession with the solstices, yeah. shall we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been looking at this in more detail because it's a thing that um, there's a Netflix special on called the um, oh my the ancient apocalypse and the guy who did it is very controversial he is not an anthropologist the anthropologists hate him he's a but he has been looking at these issues for 30 years mm. you have to give him uh, credit for tenacity he raises some very interesting issues you know i don't suggest people buy it hook line and sinker mm -hmm. um but it's but it's interesting what okay. he's talking about so give it a look i thought it was interesting okay. um uh and plus I like people who are willing to ask the questions that nobody wants to say out loud. So sure. here's a question. Newgrange, which I like to talk about instead of Stonehenge, because why? Because it's older than Stonehenge sure. and it's in Ireland. And when the Celts got to Ireland, Newgrange had already been sitting there for 2,200 years. Wow. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. The new Grange is older than Stonehenge and older than the pyramids. It is not the oldest archaeoastronomy thing, but it is one of the oldest. So it's about 5,000 years old. Um, and it's I've been to it. It's pretty cool that it was built such that this, um, the winter solstice sun comes in what looks like a transom over the door. And it's built so it goes down. Uh, into as you're walking in, you're going down slightly so that the sun at this winter solstice comes in and hits this stone in the middle of the main chamber, right in the middle of it for two or three days. Mm. And it's, it's people are so interested by it that you have to be part of a lottery to actually be allowed to see it because wow. you have to be in the chamber. Mm. So, you know, tens of thousands of people try to get in and, you know, 50 get to be in or something. Um, and as they said, when I was there, it has the dubious distinction of being the only structure in Ireland that has never leaked. It mm. was built in such a way it's uh, got this um, internal chamber where the rocks are set up in circles above you to make a dome. And they're set up and these are not tiny rocks. These are those big, you know, megalithic monstrous rocks. And they're set such that water 
has never gotten in there in 5,000 years. Mm. It's literally the only place in Ireland that's never leaked. Um, so that is a solstice marker. But they are, as I say, all over the world. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Do you really want me to think that guys who were hoeing with rocks tied to sticks built that? Right. Because it takes massive amounts of engineering skill, right. um, mathematical skill, um, and uh, astronomical skill. The, this We're talking about an engineering feat that I'm not sure we could do right now. And I actually heard a guy years ago say, I'm not sure we could build the pyramids right now. That, that's how engineering, they're a quarter of an inch off at the base, the pyramids. That's insanely mm -hmm. um, precise. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it was spaceships, so don't everybody panic here. I have no idea what the answer to that question right. is. The question would be, how in the hell did a bunch of Neolithic farmers who, you know, do not want to do work like that, I don't even think Ireland had a population that could have supported that level of work. But putting that aside, why would they do it? Now, right. people say they needed to know when to plant their crops. Hun, I marked out the directions on my land in Canada. I have, they're very precise. Uh, Brian's brother was there. He's an engineer. He helped me get them to be extremely precise. On the, on the north, south, east, west directions, I put poles in the ground and on the cross quarters i put trees you don't have to build stonehenge to right. mark where the solstice is going to be you right. can put a stick in the ground and in fact we have wood henges the remnants of them all over the world so people did in fact do that people may have planted trees mm. but they have died and we don't know about them anymore so i'm not saying people didn't do simple things i'm sure they did the question would be what in God's name would motivate you to build Stonehenge? Right. Right. I mean, it's not a grave. Newgrange at least had some bodies in it. Now, I think they were put there post facto, but that's okay. Um, it was clearly not just for graves. It was something else. And I don't know the answer to that question, but this fellow um, who's Graham Norton, is his name Graham Norton? Anyway, the uh, ancient apocalypse guy, he's willing Graham, to ask Graham those Hancock. questions. What? Graham Hancock. Hancock, correct. Sorry. Uh, he's willing to ask those questions. Anthropologists, you know, they're worried about their careers. They don't want right. to step out of line. And right. he doesn't care. He's like, let's just ask about this. Right. And and I don't know how they got built. And I am not saying people came from outer space and did it. Um, but I am asking the question, as is he, why in God's name were people so obsessed with this issue mm -hmm. that they would go to the kinds of trouble and develop the kinds of skills needed to build some of these things that are still extant right i don't know what the answer to that is but i'll tell you what it did not have to do, do with knowing when to plant your crops right. that's dumb farmers can go like this and hold their finger up and tell you when to plant their crops by the right. way the air is moving i met a german guy he was a biodynamic farmer he used to taste the soil he could, he knew that's farmers know shit. Mm -hmm. We had almanacs. We didn't need right, to build correct, correct. Right. We didn't build Stonehenge. So I don't know what the answer to that is, but there's something. 
So right. that's a weird question. And, and it carries on in this folk tradition of everywhere in the world, people recognize these. And again, that could just be experiential because we see it and we, you know, sun is doing funny stuff and mm-hmm. we're watching it and so forth. And we understand and did understand in ancient times how important the sun was to us. And I might throw out that the sun was thought of as a living being that mm. had, you know, in animistic principles would have said that the sun was a, a living creature that was worthy of some sort of acknowledgement. Right. So that's just the question. Everybody can go off and ponder that, come up with whatever answer they think they have. Mm. Um, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't because the farmers needed to know and plant their crops. That's right. dumb. That's a stupid explanation. You could do that with some sticks. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so it's clearly a very ancient, um, a very ancient concern, given that uh, we have these archaeological sites that are thousands of years old, that are about this same issue that we're about to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, after they built Stonehenge, they remember to eat, drink, and be merry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because if anybody wanted to celebrate, I think it'd be them. Well, I think, you know, from almost almost all times, all, all societies, civilizations, they build things that they, well, that they're forced to do, number one. But, well, that's, that's true. Right, so that's but, but, that's but, a whole other issue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have, we're not going to be remiss and, and not mention that. But, you know, they, ha- they, they build things to their beliefs, right, that are generally greater than the sum of an individual's labor, right? Yeah. Yeah. And simultaneously, like if we look at it on a micro level, what what a person would be willing to do to save their daughter, son, child, nephew, you know, whatever. Right. There, there's all kinds of stories of people doing sort of superhuman feats in order to save somebody else. Again, the effort extends beyond one's own normal amount of work they could be able to do when you right. view yourself as a part of something larger or it's it's greater than you, like I said. And this is this is absolutely part of that thing. How engine engineering wise, how it was done? I, no one, I don't know how we'll know. I don't. Yeah. You know. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting as they are able to find more and more sites to see if they can come up with any at least hypotheses about it. But no, you're right. People do crazy. I mean, they built cathedrals. They did all that stuff, right? <clears throat> and those societies tend to be very hierarchical um and as you say people doing the work are not always doing it voluntarily right we don't have any evidence of that at newgrange that's what's funny um there might have been chieftains right but chieftains can't um marshal that much labor right we're talking about a pharaoh or a king who's got an army and so forth that can marshal hundreds of people to do things they don't necessarily want to do mm-hmm. um so so perhaps it's just that they people were always marking out the solstice directions and all that but they did it in ways that have disappeared so right. we don't know about them and then as societies got more hierarchical and more um, religiously uh, highfalutin, as I like to say, ornate, yeah, they yeah. did it in a bigger way. Part of why I keep harping back to Newgrange is it doesn't seem to fit that model. It's not, as far as we know, it did not have a huge population. In Ireland today, 
has 5 million people. Mm. And at its height, it had 8 million people. So we can assume that during the Neolithic period, it and didn't well, have nothing, yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Plus there was no pharaonic kingly sure. anything sure. not at that not five thousand years ago so that's why it's a very odd one um but the, but the, your, something your like egypt is not so odd but your takeaway point is that like there was this you know lo- essentially love of the sun yeah and, yeah and, and that's and so so the, the love of the sun the, the love of the the, the the you know adoration you know admiration of the thing that they are so you know not obsessed with but focused on is is, right. is coming back right right and so right. this is this is the, you know, reason for celebration. This is yeah. the, you know, yeah. And and I think that another because I was trying to put myself in the mindset, and I think that even those of us who tend to be animistic and think that things are alive, mm-hmm. it's not the same as living in a culture where it's taken as a given. It right. isn't. You and I know that our, our belief of about that is in contradistinction to the the hegemonic belief, which yeah. is that the material world is inanimate. Right. That is right. the modern belief. And we have to go up against that to, you know, right. so right. we are not in a context where that is just taken as a given. Mm. And with it is taken the given. I have a, there's a new, I wrote it down actually. Uh, in days gone by, anthropologists and historians defined animism as everything is living and now religious studies people define it as um yeah everything is living it has spirit that was back that's the old definition the new one which i quite like is that reality is full of persons only some of which are human but all of which are deserving of respect Mm. the key concept being respect also animism sees human persons as entangled within these networks of non-human persons that is a much better definition of animism sure um because it sees um that that this feeling that we can't survive without the sun is not an ideological thing it's like a felt experience it's like when you've done a journey and you've actually interacted with a thing that is considered to be inanimate in this culture it changes you i mean i always say to people you don't know what rocks are until you've talked to one right because that changes your whole feeling about what these so-called things are and so if you live in a culture where the sun is a being then it's not just any old being. It's a being that is, in some sense, your um, progenitor, your, right. your being who keeps you here. Then the idea that you would go to some amount of lengths to be respectful and and to not be acknowledging is less hmm. mysterious, I would say. Well, that's sort of like the uh, implementation of biological materialism on society, right? That when the lights go out for you, you're just a bag of bones until some bacteria eats you up, you know? Right. And right. That, that your, your lights on the inside are, you're, you're yeah. sort of done. Right. Um, you know, which we obviously, we have plenty of episodes on this, you know, the YOLO episodes, the biological materialistic episodes, the, all the episodes that we've just done recently on the Buddhist version or Buddhist idea of the soul and pre-life, post-life, afterlife, enlightenment, 
all these right. kinds of things. So we talk about this all the time. So this I'll is bet. I'm, I have no know. doubt. And by the way, I don't mean to be a dunking on Buddhism. I'm just, oh, I, no. I only used it as an example because we don't tend to think of Buddhism as anything except kind of peaceful and, and lovely. You know well, what that's, I mean? We, I mean, the whole thing is recency bias, right? That's everything yeah. is recency bias. And, and yeah. to, you know, b- before we started recording, you were talking about, you know, yourself as a historian, right? Yeah. And that like the, acquisition of information prior to i don't want to call it like modern pruning you yeah know? right but it is shows the the vast difference of how things could have been or were yeah. right we're not really quite sure on, on how much what percent one was yeah. but it does show a vast difference between how we are viewing ourselves as society we just I don't know if, how I don't know how everybody thinks, but I know in my mind before I started, you know, doing this, I just figured that it was like what I saw in movies and you know, <laughs> kind of an older version of what we have now. So we had homes and we had whatever, and they were just shittier. There was a there wasn't a president, there was a king, and there was local war, right. you know, whatever my ignorant, you know, view of things was, maybe some aspects of truth, but how else would I have any frame of reference? But the beliefs that people held and how those beliefs not only were ingrained in society, but actually were the society itself. Yeah, yeah. Is, is vastly different than what we have now. Our beliefs now are an aspect of society, but yeah. not necessarily the driving force. Our reliance on each other now is more than it's ever been, which is great. But then our reliance on finances and everything else is also not so great for various reasons. But this is a much larger topic conversation that you know i don't want to doesn't relate to what we're talking about specifically but but it does show that the difference you know the vast difference in how we view things now versus how things were viewed before i'm not comparing or contrasting i'm just saying like it's vast it's it's very and i think because i was trained in anthropology that that um Somebody said to me the other day, it's culture. And I said, well, actually, it isn't, because if you're aware of it, it's not culture. Um, And that's a little bit of an overstatement, especially now to modern people. But culture is that which you are unaware of. Mm. It's that which is just taken as a given. It's what people like to call common sense, which is a great anthropological article called Common Sense is Not Common. But... um, so so i think it's and anyone who's a trained historian knows this you can't know what the reality of people in the past was you can't you can read about it because it was much too complex much too vast and plus you have to be in a context and actually be the people in that context Mm. so you have to take as a given certain kinds of um ideas about the world that you can't take as given anymore because they aren't given and so we can't really know that and and that's part of what i like about journeying because i feel like journeying gives me the closest possibility which by the way is a hint about what i would like to do at the yule celebration it gives me the the biggest possibility of actually experiencing the other other stuff that i can't experience right um and so uh, i said when i first started doing shamanic stuff that i wanted to do it so i could talk to historic figures to to dead to people long gone and ask what their experience was and what was funny was that i've only 
actually talked directly to one or two uh, people who, by the way, said things that were utterly shocking to me, which was cool. But um, it, it turned out I didn't talk to people. I was in their realities watching them live, almost like an anthropologist would be. Mm. And that was pretty cool too. Nice. So yeah, it's it's hard to know. And a lot of people talk about Yule, just bring it back to Yule, yeah, yeah, online yeah. who are decent. Um, and I'm going to mention one in a minute that people might want to look up. Um, they say that. They say, for instance, it was a part of Yule to slaughter animals and sprinkle the blood all over the participants. It had to do with blood, which represents life. And, um, and, and, so it was not gross or icky, but clearly we aren't going to do that now right. because it would be icky and we would think it was gross. And this one guy said, so I think we can forgo the blood sprinkling part of Yule. Right. However, perhaps not the ale drinking part of Yule. Right. So his idea, you know, let's take what makes sense to us in this context and what we can get behind and what feels like it makes sense to us. Yeah. So, um, so that's what we're going to do. Eat, drink, and be merry. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, Mary Kay, I think that's a really great place to to yep. hit it right there. You know, um, yep. thanks for thanks for coming on and and, and chatting today. Yep. And uh, I, will see I really you soon. enjoyed it. I think it's apropos given this time of year. Yes. Uh, so this was, you know, also another reason why you know we wanted to do this today. And so I, you know, I I hope that people enjoyed this conversation and you know what came out of it. I think it's interesting. You know, it doesn't really get talked about so readily, right? You, know, you kind of have to do a little research and, and uh, it's there. The information is there, obviously. The guy I wanted to mention, his yeah. name is um, Rune. Uh, that's his actual name. It's not something he made up. He's from Sweden, Rune Rasmussen. Okay. And he uh, has a thing called uh, Nordic Animism. That's his channel. Okay. And he also is a PhD comparative religious studies guy, but he's very interested in looking at Norse mythology. And he has things on Yule and Santa Claus is Santa Claus Odin and so forth. Okay. Um, and what I like about him is very anti-racist because you've got to be awful careful. You try to go after Norse mythology and you're going to run into white supremacist Nazis very sure. quickly. Sure. So he's, he's really cool. And he also knows a lot about Caribbean religions, which I do also so i like nice. it so if you want to hear more about uh the norse ideas of yule yeah. you might go on to his youtube station okay that sounds great well Mary all Kate, right darling thank you for coming on uh lovely thank you, to talk to you thanks everybody for tuning in whether you're watching us on youtube or listening to us on some podcast platform apple Podcasts, spotify you know whatever it is that people are listening to us thank you so much uh if you found our content useful please you know subscribe share all that other kind of stuff if you would like to, uh, you know, holler at us for any reason. If you want to ask Mary Kay a question or whatever, or myself or anything, uh, email me at ginandtantra at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram at ginandtantra or just leave a comment in the YouTube section. We definitely, we, you know, we read those and all that. If you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, leave us a review. It helps the show. You know, we definitely appreciate all the organic growth that is out there for all of our, you know, listeners to help us with. Um, I hope everybody has a wonderful Yule celebration or winter solstice or whatever it is that you observe. Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa's nice. Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, yep. Christmas, you know, all of the things. Whatever it is, celebrate it, drink a lot, eat a eat, lot. Drink, you know. be merry. Yeah, you know, and, and, and give, give. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, and give. Be generous. Give. Be yeah, generous. Be generous. It's okay. You know, and if you don't have money, 
then give your time. And if you don't have time or you don't have money, then, you know, just give smiles like that. That's always yeah, be, be nice. That'd be, be nice, good. Right? Be merry. There you go. That's the, yeah, that's be the merry. Model. Exactly. There you go. Well, anyways, uh, this is Daniel. That was Mary Kay. Thanks for being here uh, on Gin and Tantra. We'll catch everybody in the next one. Peace. So long, buddy. To get together, I want to get together. One time. I want you to get together. I want you to get together.